podcaster passionate about empowering youth to raise their voices and tell their stories. On Global Youth Matters, they tell their stories in their own voices on their own terms. They have faced life challenges, social, emotional, health, physical, economic, political, and more. They've gone through rough times and have come out on the other side. Get ready because they'll blow your mind. I'm going to let them talk because their voices matter on Global Youth Matters. Hi, everyone. I'm very excited to have Leroy Phillips with us today on Global Youth Matters. And I would love for him to go ahead and tell us a little bit, you know, go ahead, Leroy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks very much, Hannah, for the opportunity to be on Global Youth Matters. I truly appreciate the opportunity and hope by the end of this interview, my stories shared and experiences to my fellow persons with disabilities would be able to be inspired and motivated. Let me start off by saying that my full name is Leroy Orrin Phillips. I'm, I'm easily found on Facebook as Leroy Phillips. I was born on the 15th of December 1990 in the geographically South American country sandwiched between Brazil Venezuela and Suriname that speaks Dutch and we are the only English speaking nation in the South American continent but we're historically part of the Caribbean region we enjoy the best of both worlds but yeah so I am totally blind and I've been blind since the age of six my blindness is to be described as developmental not known or identified by family members until I went blind at age six. And many viewed it as mysterious um, because it just happened just like that. But a child being a child wouldn't be able to tell what he or she uh, is experiencing or has been experiencing. So I grew up in a family that is not very literate. So they, their observing skills or capabilities weren't up to par. So everything went by without notice, noticing. So I've been blind since six. Um, I had to drop out of the school I was attending at the time to attend a school that has specialized services for people who are blind or visually impaired. And yeah, I've gone through those schools and changed um, a few schools, but continued to go into different classes. I didn't have a very successful academic career in the specified time like most people. So I had to do more schooling after my original school age came to an end. And here I am now. I'm a university student. Well, was. I have my bachelor's of degree in broadcast communication. And I'm trying to do as best as I can as a disability rights advocate in my country here in Guyana. And that's so impressive. Congratulations on your university degree. Thanks very much. That, that is amazing. So, yeah, I would just, I mean, I, it's a, what a, you know, fascinating background. So it seems to me um, you've gone through a lot to get where you are today. And I'd just like to start a little bit with what excites you? Why did you go into this communications? If you could tell me a little bit about and communication and advocacy, both things. It would be really wonderful to hear from you. Right. So this will take some time, but I'll go right ahead. So how did I first get involved? in disability advocacy and communication. So I have to start with answering the how I got involved in disability advocacy. So after I got blind at age six, that's back in 1996, I spent a lot of time at home 
I was in my own world, hanging with family members, not knowing what was out there for blind people or disabled people for that matter. And when I was finally able to get involved in disability organization stuff, that was back in 2006. Yes. So look at the gap, 1996 to 2006. That's a, a number of years of not knowing what is out there for me, just going to the school for persons with disabilities. So after 10 years of being blind, came 2006 when some of my classmates who were also blind or visually impaired, same age range or thereabout, told me or invited me to a sport for blind people called blind cricket. I never wanted to believe them. I couldn't possibly believe that there was a sport for blind people in the form of cricket because I know cricket. And I never, I couldn't fathom how blind people would be able to play cricket. And I know sighted people play it. And I know they could see the play, but how was the blind going to be able to play blind cricket, a sport that is predominantly, you know, you know, played by sighted people? So I, I, I told them things that, look, those people are just tricking you. They're fooling you guys. There's no such thing as blind cricket. And then the guys went on to tell me that, hey, it's a good opportunity, Leroy. You'll get a chance to travel to Barbados in 2006 around July because the team will be participating in the first ever regional blind and visually impaired cricket there in Barbados where Jamaica and Trinidad and St. Lucia and the Windward Islands and other teams were going to play. And I was like, huh, those guys are tricking you. And then they keep bothering me and I decided to give in one day and I went. My father took me one school afternoon at the, the training. It happened four days per week from four o'clock or so to about six. And my father took me because he worked a taxi service called Uprising Taxi Service. And I went and upon jumping out of the car that day, approaching the park where all the blind people were playing or practicing, and I heard this thing moving on the ground and making loud sounds. Yes, it was you know a ball rolling around so i'm like wow these guys weren't lying after all and then i went my father took me to the manager at the time miss Teresa pemberton who collected my information contact number name date of birth and so on and then i was introduced to some of the other players and the coaches and those things and then immediately they gave me some of the gears to feel and understand and then they gave me the chance to bat and bowl and i was totally blown away by how this sport can be played inclusively. And I was hooked. I was hooked thereafter. And then we started playing and going to cricket practice every day when there's practice. And uh, very soon after, the manager, Mr. Theresa Permiton, one day I was sitting on my grandmother's bedroom floor and the land phone rang and um, I answered it. And the manager asked to speak with my grandmother and I gave it to my grandmother and then I went on to sit in on the floor between her legs as though she was plaiting my hair and she was on the phone talking almost in codes um, to the manager because I was young then and I never expected these great opportunities to come. And I started picking up on words my grandmother was saying, Barbados, travel, passport. So those key things I was listening to, I'm like, wait, I'm about to get select or selected for this Guyana team to travel to Barbados and when she came off the phone apparently the manager Miss Terry told my grandmother not to give me much information let it be a surprise but my grandmother couldn't keep the secret because I was super excited to know and she told me yes Leroy they picked you to go to Barbados with the team for the first time to represent Guyana at the regional tournament so I was elated and right away they took me to get my passport sorted and within three weeks or so I was on that trip to Barbados with all these blind people I never knew 
and a few of them were my friends because we attended the same school. So because of being involved with the entire team with adult blind people and young ones, we got exposure to different things. And that's when I was introduced to an organization called the Guyana Society for the Blind, an organization called the National Commission on Disability, NCD, which is a semi-governmental organization that deals with disability matter nationally here in Guyana. I was introduced to those organizations. And then within that year, 2006 to 2008, I received a call in 2008 from a young lady called Tiffany Ward asking or extended the invitation for me to join a youth organization called Leonard Cheshire Disability, LCD, Young Voices. They're a global organization. They had lots of chapters around the world in different continents. And the purpose of that group is basically to promote disability among youth in our country and those things. So I joined, I accepted the invitation and I went. I was a very quiet guy in the meetings we had, the very initial sets of meetings, because I, I never knew nothing about how to, you know, represent myself, how to be independent, how to be brave and confident, and how to, you know, understand the world where blind people live. And that's how I started getting involved in advocacy, because Young Voices, under Leonard Cheshire Disability, which had its based office in London, we received funding to do projects to raise the awareness about persons living with disabilities in our country. And I started to become this young leader. I started to develop into this young youth leader for PWDs. And then there's where that advocacy was born in me. And from that year onward, we started different diff getting different exposure, going to government offices, speaking with presidents of the country, ministers, prime ministers, and tell them, here's what we have equal rights. We want this to happen for us. We want to be included in these discussions that designs programs for us. So we started spreading our wings and getting different kind of experiences. And that's how I become a, a disability rights advocate because I never stopped talking about disability and how to make things inclusive for us. And here I am today. That's really phenomenal. Can you tell us at what, what age were you when you started doing that? You said 2008. Would you be 18? Yes, so two, yes I yes. was. 17 in 2008 I became 18 toward the end of the year so yes 2008 that's, that's really uh, phenomenal experiences so do you have any like example that you can share with us when you were talking to you said you met heads of states and different people that is there anything you would like to share with us yes one of the first things I remember we put into some of the leaders of government back then is that look these are some of our challenges in a Guyana back then, in 2008, 2006, around then, PWDs received so much stigma and discrimination when accessing public transportation. We couldn't catch a bus so easily without people seeing that we have a disability and driving away. So ah, we can't handle a blind person in the bus because it's going to be so much fatigue to help he or she get from one seat to another. Worse yet, if you had a physical disability, they couldn't assist you with your wheelchair or your crutches or your walking aid or assistance and those kind of things. So people turned their noses up on you. People kept their heads in their vehicle and drove past us as though they never saw us there. So we wanted all that to end because remember, disabled people have normal lives like anybody else. Some of us who had the privilege to work at the time had to keep going to work. If we were in school, we had to go to school. We had to catch public transportation because our family didn't have the financial resources to hire a special car or a vehicle to take us to and from work or school. So we had to fight and access public transportation. We had so much problems doing so. So we had to go to government and different CSOs and tell them, 
how can you assist us? How could we help alleviate these problems? And that's when they made available to us all sorts of resources to do advocacy campaigns. Like we had one of the campaigns back then called The Right to Ride. The Right to Ride Public Transportation. So we created bumper stickers, board, what do you call it? <laughs> billboards, right? You call them billboards, promoting PWD's access or their right to access public transportation to go about their daily lives like anybody else. And we had bumper stickers saying right to right for persons with disabilities. We created musical CDs with DJs. We paid to promote the messages that disabled people have the right to use public transportation. We're equal like anybody else. That kind of thing we had happening. And it started to have good um, reception around the country. Slow, but slowly but surely people started accepting us into public transportation because they saw our messages, heard our messages, um, saw our billboards and those things, and listened to the DJ promoting our rights as disabled people. And all of a sudden, we started having policies for persons with disabilities developed like the Ghana Disability Act 2010 and those things. So we started making good strides back then. Yes, it's where we should have been many decades ago but we can't change that we started making the necessary changes we want in our in our country in 2006 onward wow that's really amazing really taking putting taking things into your hands and making really concrete changes which is really phenomenal which i'm sure you're still doing today i'd like to hear a little bit more about what what is now you said i can you tell me what you're doing today so now I am, well, I'm to answer part two of your question. How did I get involved in communication? So you and your audience would be aware of uh, VSO, uh, those vo VSO volunteers. They came to Guyana and they have been visiting and working here for a number of years. But in 2008, 2011 rather, or 2010, I have another friend whose name is Ganesh Singh. He's also part of the disability rights movement. He was very popular at the time, getting involved in lots of meetings and so on. And the company that I work with now called the National Communications Network Inc., NCN for short, that was the, the government, well, state-owned media house. We were the only media house in the country at the time with three radio and a television station. So they wanted to embark on a new program to train more young people to get involved in the media, to promote media content and so forth on youth and those things for TV and radio. And when they launched that program in 2010 or 11, they contacted VSO volunteers because they know VSO was working with disabled people at the time. And, and they were indeed with us. They contacted my friend and said, hey, NCN wants a disabled person or a person with a disability who is young, who is passionate about media, very creative, very energetic, to be a part of this training we're launching. Who would you recommend? Who do you think best suits this opportunity? And I don't know why he thought for a moment that Leroy was his best pick. And he said, Leroy Phillips. He gave them my contact number. They called me and I started the training. Yes, I was discriminated against uh, when I started the training, but I was resilient. I was determined to stay through whatever challenge or challenges I may experience. And the long and short of the story, when I got accepted into the training, I didn't have computers because I couldn't afford it at the time with those things, and I didn't know much Braille. 
So much of what I was learning at the time in the broadcasting training was by memory when we had to rehearse commercial scripts and other PSAs and those things. They would have somebody in the training sit with me and read those scripts out and I would try and re-rehearse them and memorize them. And when it's time to put what we learned into presenting commercial scripts and PSAs, I would blurt it out from my head just how they taught us to do it. And I was doing well because the training started with 150 young people. And then after that first batch of 150 young people, people started finding the training difficult. So 150, the population of 150 trainees started to dwindle to 130, to 120, to 100, to 80, to 70, to 50, to 42, to 39. It keep coming down. And I, I'm always there. I kept among the dwindling population and it dwindled so significantly over the years from 2011 well for months actually within the year 2011 and then now looking back at it it got down to one person and i was that last man standing so everybody encountered so much pressure i i had the same pressure too but I was resilient. I was so poised to stay on and hang on to this opportunity because I didn't know what it was going to bring. But something looked good down the road. So I, I, I turned out to be the last man standing. And here I am today, 12 years after that opportunity was given to me. I am now an announcer, producer at the National Communications Network, producing many, many, many contents on radio and TV for persons with and without disability on national issues, national matters, chatting and interviewing ministers. And very soon, I met the current president, Dr. Irfan Ali, who's an excellent president, when we were observing America's 246th independent anniversary at the ambassador's residence. That's the U.S. ambassador's residence, Sarah Ann Lynch. Um, I met the president there and we hugged him, we took pictures out and I congratulated him and thanked him for some of his recent projects executed for PWDs. And he told my DCEO at the time, Michelle Abram Ali, that, hey, Michelle, I want to do an interview with Leroy. Now, I was stunned, flabbergasted. I thought, Mr. President, what do you mean? You will do the interview or I will be the one doing the interview? He said, look, both ways, Leroy. You will ask the question and I will ask you questions as well. So I'm like, sure, we'll work on it right away. So... So that's how the story started, me getting involved in media. And I, I kept strong. I'm still in it and doing well and enjoying it. I, I, I view it as a hobby because it doesn't stress me out. I view it as a hobby. Wow. So and first of all, that's amazing show of persistence, right? I see persistence as a common theme for you in your life. But be before I move on, you had mentioned this VSO, and I want for people who are listening who don't know what VSO is, if you could explain that, please, Leroy. Right. So VSO are persons, I believe, that came from the United States from whatever program that they launched then. They don't have the very background information on it, but volunteers were deployed to different third world countries that are in dire need of first world services for all sorts of reasons, be it disability, certain demographic that had their own challenges that they were experiencing. And VSO volunteers came and provided the expertise in those areas. And we learned and developed programs and projects that had alleviate some of the problems we were, we were encountering as a third world nation then. So volunteers work, VSO volunteers work with disabled people and we worked back with them. We learned, they gave us opportunities to develop in certain areas and until we were able to stand on our own. 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So now I just have a quick question. What do you think are some of the key challenges that you personally had to overcome that you could share with us and how you overcame them? Yeah, some of the key challenges I had to overcome is access to information. Access to information was a, a big, big, big problem for me as a blind person, for all my other blind colleagues as well. We are a poor country or were a poor country then, so we didn't have much happening for employment and PWDs or persons with disabilities. So we had to do with what we had at the time or beg to get donations like a computer and a smartphone and so on. So access to information, but I utilize my, my memory. Um, and when I got my first computer, I started learning how to use it and things started to look up in the positive for me. But you have to deal with your challenges like stigma, discrimination. People resented you or, or give you challenges when it comes to accessing certain programs. They thought, as a disabled person, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. So you have to fight constantly, daily, uh, to survive in our world at the time. But I would say things are better. We still have to fight with accessing information now. So it's a continued problem in our society until we get to that stage like America and Canada, those first world country. So I see you said there was a lot of like discrimination. You kept talking about fighting. So what was it that gave you the strength? I see from your other examples that you're a very persistent person and that you've developed new skills like memorizing and you really like you're you're very persistent and you're also very very open to learning new things and pushing boundaries. So what gave you that strength or persistence? Or is that something that was in you? Yes. Good question. No, I, I wanted to become a very independent blind person. So myself and other colleagues who are in the movement, we would sit and have lots of conversation about what we want to become when we get older. So we were mostly driven and motivated by our dreams and aspirations and telling ourselves nothing's impossible. So that's what motivated us to push on beyond our limits, beyond our challenges. We broke barriers. When we couldn't get to your office to meet, we would go into the media and call on you to come and meet with us and those things. So we, we were very strong and resilient and pushy at the time. So we, we let nothing stop us. We, as a group then, had this go-get attitude, go-get-it-done attitude. We always had this it's possible attitude. We've, we never viewed anything as impossible. Everything for us was possible. And we made things happen. We never allowed anything to deter our spirit for too long. So it sounds like th there is really importance of being part of a group or a network yes. to support each other. Yes. And yes. that helped serve as a motivating force and a connecting force. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's what do you think are, you know, some of your biggest life lessons that you would like to share with other young people in your situation? What would you advise them or guide them to do? Yeah, I think in the simplest of way to describe it all is that PWDs or persons with disabilities have to be nice people, be friendly, be frank. Right? Be open, be straightforward when you're dealing with stuff pertaining to disability, um, and you're going to get through. It's, it pays to know a lot of people. Have lots of roadside conversations. Don't stay home doing nothing. Don't shut yourself away from the rest of the world. It pays to interact and hang out with people, even if it is that you have to go to a few bars with your friends and drink a few beers, more champagne. Do it because lots of people would see you say, aha. He's doing that. I never expected to see a person in a wheelchair at the bar. 
um, or at the club, and they will come to you and ask you questions. You, you being there physically and them seeing you will change their perception of you. So I'd encourage persons with disabilities to enjoy the world, participate in activities of the world today. Be very warm as you go along the way of education or employment. Never refuse to provide advice to people without disabilities seeking information on PWDs because there's this world, this world have so many people who are uninformed that you need to inform them and you don't blame them for not knowing based on how they treat or react toward you or someone with a disability. It's a beautiful world that we live in and we learn every day. We learn every day. Get on your feet and advocate for persons with disabilities. Be a part of that movement. Government officials out there don't know much and you will have to be the one to provide that first-hand experience to them when they're developing programs and policies to, for the betterment of the population of disabled people. I think that's really uh, very helpful. So I think it sounds to me like you're saying that each of you, each person with disabilities has something to contribute. They do. And they should know their power and yes. their purpose, mm-hmm. right? Which is what you've done in a very, very, very model way yeah. that I think so many young people can inspire to be like in terms of advocacy, getting out there, in terms of finding a career, in terms of overcoming discrimination. And I would, I would also encourage people with disabilities to get involved in the media. The media is a very powerful medium. You get involved in the media and you're going to get so much out of it. I can't, I can't overemphasize i don't even know how much i can emphasize how important the media is to disability get involved in the media even if it is to volunteer doing programs on disabilities it could be five minutes program it could be a one minute program you simply telling them what what disability is and how pwd should be treated something simple you never know who you are impacting and what impact your one minute look on disability issues could mean to someone out there listening. You never know who's listening on the other side of the um, broadcast. So I encourage PWDs to get involved in the media. That's wonderful. So anything in terms of like, what do you think their first step should be? A person who's really has not been out there in the world. Do you just think, you know, you had mentioned going out and talking and living life. Is, is that the first thing? Yeah, what you should do. What you should do is try to find out what organization is out there for a person with disability. No disability organization will turn you down. I can tell you that for sure. And they should not turn you down too. You can, within this age of technology today, you can easily Google organization in your country or your region or your community or wherever and get an email address or a contact number. Attack. Call both email and phone. Uh, reach out via email and phone and say, hey, my name is etc. etc. Here's where I live. I have a disability. I, I, I think there's much I can do, but there's not much I know to get out of this hole that I'm in. How could you help me? And persons would listen to you. They would listen to you and they'll see how best they can support you. And you never know what that simple call or email can do um, to you as an individual. So I'd encourage you to find out and investigate what organization they have out there for you that caters for your disability and test the waters, see how much you can get out of it. So basically connecting with the right people, 
being an advocate and being persistent, I see as the three things that are sort of key. Anything else I missed in terms of? No, you've, you've done well. I just let person nail those opportunities, take advantage of every opportunity. I also have my young friends with disabilities here in Guyana who for some strange reason don't seem so want to maximize an opportunity given to them. Look, every time an opportunity came in my days, I took it because I always tell myself I never know what can derive from it. And I was given that kind of advice from a very good friend who is also blind here in Guyana. He's always proud of my accomplishments because he always, he knows my capabilities. He knows my capabilities. He always tells you, right, take them, take them, take them. We as a disabled person, or as disabled people, have to be 10 times better than our non-disabled counterpart. And I always use that line when I'm doing advocacy. If you are applying for a job as a disabled person with one set of qualifications that that non-disabled person has as well, you will be refused that job on the basis of your disability unless you have a disability act or policy or legislation that protects you, right? That protects you. That's the only way you get that job because that employer cannot say, no, Leroy, you're blind and we can't see how you'll be able to manage this job. That's when they will come under the, 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 um, the hot seat. They can be taken to court and be sued big time and no company wants to be sued big time. So they will now accept you and see how they can make the necessary adjustments to accommodate you as a blind person or a wheelchair user or a deaf person within that working environment. But where there are no policies or legislation, they will easily turn you down because you have the same qualification like the other person who doesn't have a disability, but because you have a disability, they can't and don't want to go through the stress of spending more money to accommodate for you. So what you now have to do is to impress. We would never get away from that reality as a disabled person impressing. We shouldn't have to impress nobody to get a job or anything in life, but that's a reality still. We have to have 10 times more qualification than those who are applying for the job. You have to speak, if they're asking you to, to be bilingual, you have to have um, Spanish as an strong point. You now have to tell them, look, I don't only have Spanish as another strong point. I can speak Portuguese. I could speak five um, African um, languages. I can speak Dutch. I can speak French. I can speak all these different languages, Russian, Chinese. You understand? And you will get that job for sure. There's, there's hardly an employee who would turn you down as a disabled person who boasts all those qualities, those qualifications and experiences over somebody else who has significant, significantly lower than you. So that's, that's the truth, though. That's a fact. That's, that's what we have to live with. We have to super impress. You have to come to work two hours early than the ordinary person and leave two hours later than the ordinary person just to make sure your job is perfectly performed and executed. Non-disabled people don't have to do that. We have to impress all the time. We have to make that extra effort, go that extra mile to show our bosses that we can do it. Just give us an opportunity. I think this is all great advice. So before we close, is there anything else you would like to talk about or mention? Not that I can think of. Um, I think we've covered it all. I just want the person that don't, don't take life for granted. You never know what your next step as a disabled person would mean to you. I took that call or that push from my colleagues or my classmates in 2006 to join Blind Cricket. And it opened so many doors. Most importantly, 
it injected confidence into my every step physically when I wake up in the morning. I couldn't walk in confidence. I never used the white cane blind people use um, after 10, 12 years of being blind until somebody taught me how to use it effectively until blind cricket showed me how to walk without a cane on the cricket ground in confidence and it's enormous it's immense what that really means um, to anybody who's blind or has a disability blind cricket took us so many places around this country when we got involved they exposed us to so much we weren't previously exposed to lots of workshops we attended we started became becoming educational or educated in different backgrounds different areas so i started getting smart right so there's so much that is out there for you. Blind Cricket put me in my first airplane. They took me out of the country for the first time. They made me get my first passport. So you can see the building of blocks here. They made so much possible for me. And after being involved in them, I started getting involved in Young Voices Guyana. And when I got involved in Young Voices Guyana, I became this advocate. And then after 2008, I flew to America for the first time because of Young Voices in 2011 to go to the United Nations to present on disability and HIV and AIDS and those things. And after that, more doors started to open. I became this internationally recognized and requested individual to go here, there, and everywhere and present on all sorts of issues pertaining to PWDs. I went to, well, I've gone to at least 22 countries um, to play cricket and to do disability advocacy work and so on. I was once the keynote speaker for the Global Replenishment Conference, GPE, in 2014 in Belgium, where I spoke on education in front of world leaders. Lots and lots of people were there. So all these things started to happen for me, right? And I started to develop. So that's why I, I always encourage disabled people to don't turn opportunities down. Take everything as they come. You're going to be fatigued, yes. You're going to have sleepless nights, but do it. It's going to pay out for you. Do it. Thank you, Leroy. That is for a truly inspirational and motivational interview, I think, for all young people and particularly people with disabilities. But yes, thank you. And guess what? And guess what? I've had so much success over my, in my career of being an advocate uh, for persons with disability. But the biggest one, though, um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I look back at it a lot of time. I reflect on it a lot of time. But to add to what I said in the last five minutes about grabbing opportunities is that, look, among all the things I've done as a youth leader with a disability, I became recognized or I was recognized for my hard work of advocacy as a young person with a disability after the Buckingham Palace and the Diamond Jubilee Trust organization contacted me in 2015, January, to say, yes, Leroy, we've nominated you, shortlisted you, and now you are among the first 60 persons across the Commonwealth who are invited to come to Buckingham Palace and meet Her Majesty the Second, Queen Elizabeth, be given an award for your remarkable, your exceptional work. Um, done in your country in the Commonwealth to develop or change lives. So I was humble, very, very appreciative when I went to the United Kingdom in June 2015 for a one week and a half intense and exciting program where I got to meet people like David Beckham, Princess Beatrice and other royal members there in the UK. It was just an incredible uh, uh, experience and it really motivated me to do more uh, when I returned back to Guyana. So 
continue working hard. You never know what is at the end of the tunnel for you as a disability rights advocate or as a person with a disability. Just get involved, dip your feet in the water and see what becomes of that. Thank you, Leroy. It sounds like really some really incredible life experiences. And thank you for this incredible contribution that you've done and are continue to do. So we look forward to, you know, maybe in the notes, we can put a little information on the radio station so other people can listen to you in the notes of this podcast. And we look forward to being in touch to hear about your future, what you keep these amazing things you keep doing. Yes, I look forward to that too, Hannah. Okay, thank you. This is the Global Youth Matters Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe or follow us at Apple Podcast or your favorite pod platform. We would really appreciate it if you leave us a positive review, especially on Apple. This helps us build an audience. Finally, we want to hear from you. You can reach us by email at globalyouthmatters at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.